بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Brothers and sisters, what have we been doing so far? In session one, I introduced the characters of our narrative. In session two, I spoke about this builder, Rasulullah building the emotional block and creating a love bond based on confidence, based on love, based on respect. And the second block that can stay in a very stable position on the top of the emotional block is the block of belief, call it creed, call it aqidah. Incidentally, the Sahaba never knew the word aqidah. Aqidah means a knot, uqdah. But that came later from the Ahlul Kalam and the Mu'tazila. They know it as Iman. Iman. But call it Aqidah, call it Iman, call it the block of belief. Now we are going to discuss the block of Ibadah. And that what cements actually the block of Aqidah. So there is a big cement between them two. And they are two blocks but... In due course, they become as if they were one block. Greater belief leads to greater ibadah, and greater ibadah leads to greater belief. And Rasulullah actually worked with belief and ibadah in a, in a parallel. And the emotional block is overarching actually, with the wiping and with the kissing and with the carrying and with the cuddling and talking about Allah. So this is an overarching block. Three points to bear in mind when we are talking about ibadah and children. Number one, children are not required to do ibadah. If they are below the age of puberty. So what are we doing during that period? We are doing one thing, training. All sorts of training. The ibadah here is training them. Order them to pray at the age of seven and beat them at the age of ten. So from seven to ten you are training them. Imagine someone prays five times a day from the age of seven. Or someone who is being reminded to pray every day five times a day for three years. You multiply and you see how much reminding you have been. So training, number one. Number two, everything is on your side. It's not a battle between you and your child. Come, pray, fast. No, everything is on your side. Number one, the psychological worry is not there. Because he's not required to pray. He's not required to fast. You are training him. It's a training. If you fail today, try tomorrow. It's a training. It's entertainment. It's getting him into the mood. Okay, number one. Number two, what is that other thing that is on your side? The child himself is on your side because he is born a Muslim. You remember this hadith, كل مولود يولد على الفطرة? His fitra is Muslim. His, his fitra is to pray. He's with you. But he needs you to teach him. He needs you to train him. You will do that. Number two. Number three, he is on your side because he is under the age of puberty. There is no sexual desire. There are most of the things that ward us off from Iman and Ibadah is our desire. 
Is our arrogance? Is our old habits die hard? He doesn't have habits. He doesn't have desires. He or she are innocent, waiting for you to train with the emotional block, with stories, and with 50p in a horse to entertain. He's waiting. She's waiting. She's a Muslim, naturally, and no desires at an early stage. And thirdly, you are training her or you are training him. Now, these three points, take them as the framework of Rasulullah's action when he is building that block. This is our template. Three templates. Training. No desires that are blocking. No shahwa that are blocking the way, that are stopping the flow of communication between you as a parent and him or her. And number three, that he is with you. Allah created him as a Muslim. And the day he was born or she was born, you said adhan in his or her ears. With regards to training, this is important. And this is something I said it at the beginning. The earlier you train someone to be good, the easier it will become for him to continue to be good. Him or her. Look at Abdullah ibn Mas'ud when he says, حَافِظُوا عَلَىٰ أَبْنَائِكُمْ فِي الصَّلَاةِ وَعَوِّدُوهُمُ الْخَيْرِ فَإِنَّ الْخَيْرَ عَادَةِ This hadith is in a book of Bayhaqi, فِي السُنَنِ الْكُبْرَى. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, Take care of your children and train them to pray and get them in the habit of doing the good. Because doing the good is a habit. Can you imagine that your child can one day become addicted to doing the good? Can you imagine that uh, your child is a a serial good doer? So, yes, you could. If you trained him from the beginning. If you trained him, for example, to kiss the hand of his mother or father when he wakes up, he will do it. He will do it when he is 20. He will do it in front of his wife without being embarrassed when he is 50. And he then will do it even if kissing the air when you pass away. He can't do anything else other than that. He doesn't know how to do anything else because he has been trained by you to do that very thing. And training was not just in salah but in everything. This hadith that is again famous narrated in Bukhari and Muslim where Ar-Rubayy' bint Mu'awwidh, a woman called Ar-Rubayy' bint Mu'awwidh, look what, she's exactly saying what we are saying now. She said, Ar-Rasul Sallallahu when he was the, the day of Ashura, the 10th of Muharram, he sent to all the people of Ansar that I'm going to fast. Oh you, all of you, try to fast. Those who are fasting, let them continue their fast. Those who are not fasting, refrain from eating. And then she said, and Ar-Rubayya bint Mu'awwid, she said, we would refrain from eating even our children who are not required to fast. And we would, look at what she says, we would do toys for them out of wool and go to the mosque to pray and stay there till Maghrib, till breaking the fast. And when they cry, we will give them these toys to bite. Rather than food, we will give them these toys to bite until the Maghrib time comes and then they will eat. You might say, "This is why is this? You are not required to do that. But I'm just telling you how these people behaved. 
how they understood the significance of training. Because they saw Rasulullah training children and they understood that training is significant. Ibn Hajar, when he narrates this hadith, comments on it by saying, and this hadith shows that it's permissible to train children to fast. Because those children in that age are not required to fast, but this has been done to them based on this hadith solely for the purpose of training. And you can contemporize this toy made of wool. It could be anything. But the point is, train them. Or refrain from food till asr, or whatever. But train them, train them. And by the way, it's not just training them to refrain from food, and chocolate, and ice cream. It's teaching them discipline, and controlling, and developing their will. This ability to refrain from food will then refrain from other things. And you know probably what I mean. Uh, but it begins with the refraining from uh, simple things, but you develop the will and the irada. Now, I will focus in this entire session on the salah as a case study of how Rasulullah inculcated the love of ibadah and how he trained the children to make ibadah, but using salah as a case. I could have used uh, fasting, etc., but these are seasonal. Zakah, they are not required. Hajj, yes, there are incidents where children went to hajj, but salah as a daily, as a daily thing, as an, and as a, an immediate concern for all of, most of the, if not all of the parents. And I realized from reading a lot of the hadith that Rasulullah was doing three things. One of three things. To make the children love the salah. One is that he was creating positive associations between the child and the action. So there is always something nice when doing that action. You remember the negative association, long-term memory, positive association? He was creating positive associations. These are my titles. These are my, you can divide them. You can say you are wrong. This is a wrong interpretation. I have a new interpretation. Fine. But at least we are all mujtahids. I'm trying to, just to simplify things. I could have thrown this hadith on you without titles and confused you. But I'm trying to organize them in a way that are, makes them more, more accessible. Number two, he used to reward when the action is being done. Bear in mind he's training now. He's training. So come, come, come with me to the masjid and I'll give you a sweet. Okay, he's training. But before he's doing that, he's creating one, positive association. Number two, he's rewarding. Number three, he is making the child feel as if he is taking part, a central part in the action it, itself, that without him the action will become invaluable. Giving the child a form of a responsibility to make him love that thing because he is responsible for that thing. Three things. Now, let's talk about these three things. First, a positive association between the action and the child. Again, I'm going to bore you with this. But wiping on the head and this time wiping on the cheek. Jabir ibn Sumrah, a young child, he says, صليت مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الصلاة الأولى I prayed with the Rasulullah sallam in jama'ah in the mosque salat al-dhuhr and this is not someone who's related to Rasulullah sallam he's a young child just be praying with the Rasulullah sallam ثم خرج إلى أهله فخرجت معه 
Fascinating this. I cannot help but being excited about this. Then he said, then Rasulullah went to his house and I went with him. Yeah, sometimes I walk in the street and there is a cat running after me. I get scared and go away, go, what do you want? And she wants just maybe someone to wipe or to go and give some food. Now imagine you get out of the mosque and a child is running after you. What do you say? Where is your father? Where is your mother? You want to get rid of the child because you are going to meet your wife. Rasulullah says, Jabir ibn Sumra is saying, I walked with Rasulullah. And look at that. Now this is the camera now carried by Jabir. Imagine Jabir is carrying the camera. And look at the scene now. Rasulullah is walking. And children are passing on his way. So any child that passes on his way, what does he do? He goes and wipes on their cheek. And then he wiped. Jabir ibn Sumra now looks at the camera. The camera is showing the hand of Prophet Muhammad coming on the screen of the camera on the cheek of that who is holding the camera and wiping on his cheek. He says, Jabir ibn Sumra, I have never, Anas ibn Malik, do you remember? He said, I have never smelled a fragrance that was more beautiful than the fragrance that came out of the hand of Prophet Muhammad Now, where is the positive association here? Two, I went to the salah, I got touched by the Prophet and I, on the top of that, smelled something that was nice. Now, whenever he goes to the mosque, does he get or smell a stinking carpet? No. He will just smell fragrance from the hand of Prophet Muhammad And he will go with him again and again and again, waiting for that fragrance. A positive association. Do you want something more, more direct? Maybe this is a overdoing the thing. Although I don't believe it's overdoing it. But, okay, fine. Do you want more direct Example, Abu Mahdura, Abu Mahdura and this uh, hadith is uh, narrated in Muslim. Abu Mahdura is a companion, but at that time he was a young mushrik. And this hadith, this incident happened when Rasulullah conquered Mecca. And you've seen it in the message, perhaps in the film of the message, where Bilal went on the top of the Kaaba and said, made adhan. And imagine young children, mushriks, seeing this black companion on the top of the on the top of the Kaaba, making adhan. So all like all children began to make fun. There were ten children, mushriks, making fun, repeating. One of them, who's making fun, had a beautiful voice, so they, he can do concerts, CDs, whatever. He had a beautiful voice. He wasn't doing the Adam properly and he was making, making fun. Rasulullah said, bring them all the, these ten. And they brought the ten, including Abu Mahdura who narrates the hadith. And they all, Rasulullah said, all of you, I want you to make Adam now. And out of fear, everyone made Adam. Then when that boy made the Adam, Abu Mahdura said, no, that's him, that's, that's the voice that I heard. And then he said, come, you nine go. Look, look, wallahi, he's looking for the best actor. He's looking for the best singer. He's looking for the best muaddin. He's recruiting. And he wants no less than an A grade. He wants no less than an A grade. I'm sure that among these nine, there were people with nice voices, but he wants the best voice. Abu Mahdura says, nothing was more hated to me 
than this man who conquered Mecca. But then, Rasul and again, the body language here. And you will see it, by the way, the hand is playing a tremendous role. And then he puts his hand on my forehead. And I don't know what, I personally don't know what happens. Abu Mahdura says, after putting his hand on my forehead, he became the most beloved person to me. Is it the silk? Is it the softness? Is it the tenderness? Is it the fragrance? Or is it merely the prophethood? And then Rasulullah said, now, and he became a Muslim and said, Ashhadu Allah, Allah, wa Ashhadu Muhammad Rasulullah. He said, now I'm going to teach you to do adhan. And in Muslim, it tells you the adhan actually. And he said, Qul, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And then say, Rasulullah, say, Ashhadu Allah, ilaha illallah, two times, maratain. And then, wa Ashhadu Anna Muhammad Rasulullah, two times. And then he says, Hayya ala salah. And then he says the adhan. And then he says, and when you make adhan for, Fajr time. So he employed him now to make adhan. He's teaching him to do adhan on a daily basis, including fajr. And when you do adhan in fajr, say, As-salatu khayrun min an-naw. And then when you do iqama, subhanallah, subhanallah. Five minutes ago he was making fun. Now he's going to make as-salatu khayrun min an-naw. He's going to wake up without an alarm, without shouting at his mother, leave me alone, let me sleep. He's going to wake up, he's going to wake up the entire city in Mecca and say, Hayya ala salah, qad qamat salah. And then he teaches him to do the iqama. What is fascinating in this hadith is that Abu Mahdura says, I never cut my hair. Never. I don't know, I cannot, maybe during his time, he had a very long hair. He never cut his hair that was touching his forehead because he said, because it was touched by Rasul Now, look at this learning of Adhan, which is a form of Udada that is associated with a touch. So, the point, the point, Brother Hisham, you bore us to death. The point is, when you teach your children Ibadah to train them, try to give them a positive association with a kiss, with a touch, with whatever, so that they associate doing that thing which they do not necessarily understand the significance of, with a fragrance, with a nice word, with barakallahu feek, with jazakallah khair, with I am happy now, with a beautiful prayer mat that is especially for him or her, that musk is everywhere on this prayer mat, that when you smell this prayer mat, you remember it's time for salah. Just create any positive associations. So another example is that Rasulullah and Ibn Mas'ud narrates this hadith where Rasulullah used to always wipe the, you know, the imam in the salah says shoulder to shoulder, etc. Rasulullah would go through the lines to make sure that the shoulders are touching the shoulders. And he himself will touch the shoulders to make sure that the shoulder is touching the shoulder. And he will do this throughout. Now imagine every time the children, they come to salah, they are going to be touched by Rasulullah, especially those who are standing at the extreme right or the extreme left with fragrance, with touching from Rasulullah the Messenger, won't you then like coming to the mosque five times a day, including Fajr, at least to hear the voice of your friend Abu Mahdura? Look at this quotation that I found in Q News, October 2000. The young boy is writing this letter to the editor. He's saying, yes, you have set up halal meat. 
He's talking to the imams and the elders in the community. Yes, you have set up halal meat. Yes, you have built mosques. Large, huge mosque. And boost that we have large mosques. Yes, yes, you did do that and you have succeeded in that. Yes, you have taught us Urdu. But you have also built mosques that were alien. And really this, this hurt me, this, this word. That were alien, hostile and irrelevant to our needs and requirements. Mosques that are full of squabbles and fights. Not love and compassion. Not love and compassion. Q News 2000. Not Abu Mahdura, who actually received enough compassion. Mosques full of notices. Don't do this and don't do that. Mosques whose doors are closed to the destitute, the poor, and the orphan. This is... This really translates... Now, would you imagine that this letter has been written by a young companion? Far from it. When we go to the mosque, Rasulullah Brothers and sisters, have you ever thought about this man that urinated in the mosque? Imagine if Rasulullah allowed him to be beaten in the mosque. Do you think that he would return to that mosque again? In fact, Rasulullah made him urinate. Isn't this a positive association? Not that I can come to the mosque and do what I want. No, that I have been treated respectfully when I came to that mosque. And even when I did a mistake, I was tolerated and I was taught my mistake. Our children today do not urinate in the mosques, but they receive harsher treatment from the elders. And that what makes them scared, hate the mosque, join a gang and go to nightclubs. Because they have all the negative associations with that mosque. What Rasulullah was aware of not doing is not scaring people away from mosques. And that's why Rasulullah says in the hadith, Ya ayyuhannas, oh people, and he's speaking to the imams, among you there are people who repel and scare away the people. When you lead the prayer, please read short surahs. Because behind you, and look at this fascinating thing, behind you are the elders and someone who needs to fulfill something after the salah, he needs to go to the toilet, he needs to take his wife to the hospital. And behind you are young, sagheer, children, who are looking left and right, who wants to go and play, who are looking at their watches, who are giggling next to the child, next to him in the salah. Don't read Al-Baqarah. For their sake, read قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ And let them leave and go and play so that he will come again knowing that soon after he will go and play. Number two, rewarding them. And I'm just going to quote this single hadith that is in the book of Bukhari that Abdullah ibn Abbas, a child who's holding the camera again, saying that Rasulullah went to the toilet to do wudu. And I realized that as a child, and I brought him some water and waited for him outside. And when he went outside, Rasulullah he looked and saw the water. He said, who brought this water? And they said to him, it is Abdullah ibn Abbas, the young boy who was around probably... 10, 11, I don't know. We said that when Rasulullah died, Abdullah ibn Abbas was 13. I don't know this incident took place when. I do know, however, that when Rasulullah was sitting and Ibn Abbas was behind him and he was teaching him aqidah, do you know how old was Ibn Abbas? Nine years old. So imagine Rasulullah teaches aqidah to a nine years old. How would he teach him? 
Allah is here, when the ummah gathers, etc., etc. And if anything, it shows that a nine years old boy can understand and can comprehend, boy or girl. So, okay, when Rasulullah realized and knew that this water was brought by Abdullah ibn Abbas, he immediately made this dua. Oh Allah, teach him the deen and teach him interpretation. Do you know this hadith that I told you at the beginning when I spoke about Abdullah ibn Abbas and how he became the knowledgeable person, although he stayed only two and a half years with Rasulullah or 30 months? It's because of that initiative. Imagine, just imagine, he didn't bring any water. Is it possible that the dua would not have been said? And is it possible that then Abdullah ibn Abbas would not have become famous? It's because of that positive initiative that he undertook. He deserved a positive comment that lived with him and made his legacy as a scholar, as a mufassir, and as a faqih. So what greater reward... What greater reward than if that if you say to your child, if you do this, I will give you that. And seriously, not lying. I will do that or I will give you that. Or may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you knowledgeable in the deen or rich or marry a nice wife. Anything that the child feels proud out of doing what he did. And in fact, in another narration, Ibn Abbas said, Rasulullah actually wiped again. You see, wiping is in, repeating itself throughout this course. He wiped on my head and said, And he made dua that I become a wise person. The final thing or the final pillar in the building of the ibadah block is to make the child feel that he is responsible, that he is being welcomed, and that he is being accommodated. And again, uh, a hadith that we come across a lot that is narrated uh, in the book of Bukhari. Again, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, I spent the night one day in the house of my maternal aunt, uh, who was Maymuna, who was the wife of Rasulullah So he spent the night in the house of Rasulullah and he went to sleep. And then Rasulullah woke up in the night and he asked Maymuna, did he sleep? Did, the, did Abdullah sleep? She said, yes, he went to bed. And then he made wudu and stand to make tahajjud. Abdullah ibn Abbas, look at this person who just a few days ago, Rasulullah said, oh Allah, give him wisdom and ta'wil and faqihu fi deen. He straight away stood up, went and made wudu just to pray next to that whom he loves. He's not asked to do tahajjud, but out of love, he went and do it. What did Rasulullah do? He actually took him close by and accommodated him. He didn't say, oh, this is between me and Allah. Oh, this is Riyadh. Go home. Or you're not. Why are you? Wait, go to sleep. You have school tomorrow. No, he brought him and he accommodated him. And Abdullah ibn Abbas, thank you to Rasulullah that he allowed him. He narrates the entire hadith and how Rasulullah prayed and what are the surahs that he read. And there is another story that is even more fascinating of how Rasulullah actually accommodated children. The story of Amr ibn Salama. Amr ibn Salama is someone that lived away at the outskirts of Medina. He never uh, interacted with Rasulullah He said, I was living with my tribe and people that were in Medina that used to travel, we used to ask them, they were Muslims, we used to ask them, what did Rasulullah teach you today? And they used to uh, tell them, Rasulullah today, he read Surah this, and Surah this was revealed today. Amr ibn Salman says, and when I hear the Surah, I memorize it. 
So he began memorizing the surah. Not from the mouth of Prophet Muhammad but then he says, I memorized lots of the Qur'an based on what I hear of those passpires, travelers. And then I learned how to pray from those passpires again. Isn't this fascinating that you learn the Qur'an and then you learn how to pray? It shows how those people were connected to the book of Allah before even they began to pray. Okay, what is special about this hadith? The tribe of that boy one day went to Rasulullah in Medina. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, now we know how to pray. We want you to instruct us to pray in jama'ah. He said, okay, pray in jama'ah. Who is going to lead us, Ya Rasulullah? He said, the one who knows the Qur'an most. And the leader of the tribe, he's about 60, 70. He doesn't know the Qur'an most. They went to Amr ibn Salama. Amr, how many do you know? Oh, I know many, many, many verses. And imagine, brothers and sisters, for the first time in a tribal society, like we had a girl being carried by the hand of the Prophet Muhammad in a patriarchal society where women and girls were looked at as a source of embarrassment and buried. In a tribal society where seniority and age is a source of legitimacy, for the first time we see a leader a new leader, not based on his tribal legacy, but on his ability and the number of verses of Qur'an that he memorizes. Amr ibn Salama was only seven when he was appointed as the imam for his entire tribe. And a funny story that you might uh, laugh at, his trousers was extremely short, that when he, he bends, some of his private parts at the back appear. One of the women said, please, please cover, cover the backside of your imam. So he says, they brought me a longer trousers. Wallahi, look at this positive association. Brothers and sisters said, Wallahi, this trousers is very valuable to me. Why? Because this is your uniform as an imam. Who made you imam? My Quran through Rasulullah We had problems, again, my daughter encouraging our daughter to pray with us. And one day, my wife tailored a hijab, small hijab for her especially. She said, this hijab, I tailored it for you. And we brought Hadil and she watched the sewing machine moving. And she was, what is this? She said, this is your hijab that you will wear whenever we join the salah. She was extremely happy, like Amr ibn Salama, extremely happy with his trousers. And whenever we would pray, she would wear the hijab. Now she throws the hijab away and she doesn't pray anyway. But you create moments of excitement. <laughs> Maybe because she was not appointed as an imam, I don't know. But you create moments of excitement. And let it last for a week or two, because again you are training. Again you are creating positive associations. You are creating enjoyable memories. You are doing your utmost to make them love ibadah. And inshallah when they grow up, they will love it because by then, it's a habit. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه الغفور الرحيم.